You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week we have Pastor Jonathan sharing which Jesus do you want. We hope you enjoy this message. It's great to be with you this morning. Yep, still this morning. Three minutes. All right, why don't we just pray for a moment. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're here. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here working on our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what you do best, which is reveal Jesus, that you would open every eye, every ear, every heart to see Jesus today. God, that you would change us from an encounter with you, Lord, where we're never the same. We thank you. We love you. We thank you so much for what you've done, for who you are, that you're alive today. We don't pray to a dead God, but you are alive. You are with us. You hear us. You're speaking to us. Your word is alive and active. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to read out of Matthew 27 and verse 11. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to have it up on the screen for you. Matthew 27, verse 11. In this passage, Jesus is on trial. He's been arrested. His disciples, his followers have abandoned him. They've betrayed him. They've denied him. Peter's denied Christ three times. He's on trial. That He's waiting, awaiting a sentencing of what is going to happen to him. And so he's standing before the Roman governor named Pilate and awaiting his fate, awaiting what is going to take place in his life. And so we, we're here in verse 11. And it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the uh, chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At at that same time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere and that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. 
Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The title for the message today is, Which Jesus Do You Want? Which Jesus Do You Want? I don't think that the question that Pilate asked the crowd in that moment has stopped being asked. I feel like life comes down to this question. Which Jesus do you want? You have two choices. Which one will you take? Some people say that variety is the spice of life. Having lots of options, having many choices brings a certain enjoyment and spice to their life. To me, I'm a simple guy. I only need a couple choices. I feel like variety paralyzes. It doesn't bring spice. I got so many options, I don't know which one to choose. I just, you just need to narrow it down, right? I'm not a big fan of going to somewhere like Baskin Robbins and you got like 31 flavors of ice cream to choose from. Narrow it down for me. In my opinion, there's only five kinds of ice cream that we need in this world, only five, all right? Let's make it real simple for all of us when it comes to this world of ice cream, and I love ice cream. All right, let's make it real simple. All we need is vanilla. All the vanilla people are like, amen, I just need my vanilla. You know what's great about vanilla is adding things to it. Adding bananas, chocolate syrup. That's what vanilla is for. All right. Number two is chocolate, but I'm not talking regular chocolate. I'm talking dark chocolate fudge chunk in the chocolate. Chocolate within the chocolate. Okay? Real chocolate. Some of you are going to go buy ice cream right after this message. It's almost lunchtime, and you're like, oh, that sounds amazing. So th- those are the first two. And then mint chocolate chip. That's all we need, really. I mean, mint chocolate chip is heaven. All right? And then number four is cookies and cream. Come on. It's like cold Oreos. Who can say no to cold Oreos? Right? Cookies and cream, and then number five, cookie dough. That's all you need. And someone out there is going, what about strawberry? Well, take out the cookie dough and just put in strawberry then. But that's all you need right there. I don't need rhubarb and lavender in my ice cream. I don't need to go to some hipster place to try 10 different kinds of ice cream to pick one. Just give me mint chocolate chip. Rhubarb was never meant to be in your ice cream. Never. It's never meant to be eaten. Whew. Some of you just got saved from that statement right there. You're like, I don't have to eat that rhubarb pie later? Hallelujah. <laughs> you need a lot of vanilla with that rhubarb pie. Some people say variety is what, it, is what we need. I think that we need to narrow things down a little bit. I think life is really about two options, two choices. Will you live for Jesus or will you live for yourself? Will you live for Jesus or will you live for yourself? And here in this passage that we read, Pilate presents two choices, two options. Which Jesus do you want? Do you want Jesus Barabbas or do you want Jesus the Messiah? And I want to look at some of the similarities and some of the differences between the two. There are some clear similarities and there's some clear differences between the two. All right, first of all, we notice 
that they both have the same first name. They both have the same name of Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua, okay, Joshua. But it it means the Lord saves. That is what Jesus' name means. They both had the same first name, which is amazing. So when Pilate asked, essentially, which Jesus do you want, they, they realized what he was saying because both had the same first name. That name was an actual common name at that time that, uh, when this was happening. All right, well, let's look at Barabbas and what that means. The name Barabbas means son of Abba or son of the father. Son of the Father. Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah means, or Christ, means anointed one. Means anointed one. And Jesus claimed to be, was told that he was by God himself, by the scriptures, and by his followers that he was the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, or Jesus is the Son of the Father. Amazing, right? Barabbas was a notorious well-known, popular rebel. When Pilate presented him to the crowd, they didn't need to hear the bio of Barabbas. They knew who he was. He was well-known. Jesus was also very well-known. He had crowds of thousands following him around all the time. There were all kinds of rumors and things said about him. People knew who he was. They didn't see him in in that moment there, standing there with Pilate and wondering, who is this one? I haven't heard about him. They knew who he was. The Pharisees had accused Jesus of leading a rebellion. In Luke 23, 14, Jesus was accused of leading a rebellion, and Barabbas was a leader in the Jewish community who was trying to overthrow the Romans by force. He was leading a rebellion against the Romans who were viewed as the evil empire, and he was trying to allow independence and freedom to come to Israel. He was a murderer. He was doing everything he could in his own effort, in his own strength, to bring freedom for Israel from the Romans. Jesus was also a leader. Jesus was a king. But he gained his authority not by trying to take force and human effort and armies and killing, but instead by humility, by surrender, and by death. Barabbas represents humanity, trying to live life in our own strength, with our own agendas, without God at the center of our lives. All the while we think that we're doing the right thing and all the while thinking that we know God. And Jesus is both God and man, representing both God and man, while showing how mankind was supposed to live in relationship with God, totally dependent on the Father, and totally obedient to Him. An amazing difference, and yet some similarities. If you are honest with yourself, and you look deeply into your own life, into your own heart, you will realize that you and I are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. You are a son or a daughter of the Father. Maybe you've been adopted in to his family through receiving Jesus the Christ into your life, or maybe you haven't yet. 
but we are Barabbas. We are people trying to live life the way we think is best. All the while doing so, trying to do it independent of God because we really think that we don't really need God that much. And what we're doing is living a life in rebellion against him. But thinking that we know him. Because we think that, oh yeah, he does exist. So I know he's kind of real somewhere out there. But I'm, I'm just going to do what I enjoy. Barabbas was probably a devout Jewish person who believed in God who thought he knew God and he thought he was doing God's work to bring freedom for Israel. But he was living in religion void of knowing God and knowing his heart. And in this moment, Barabbas receives what Jesus should have gotten. He was released, he was free, and he was pronounced innocent. And Jesus received what was awaiting Barabbas, what Barabbas should have gotten, to be tortured, to be killed, and executed. You and I deserved the cross. Our sin, our rebellion, our mistakes, our selfishness, we should have received what Jesus received. Jesus was human just like you and I, tempted in every way, yet never made a mistake. Never. Yet, we were born into sin, born selfish, prone selfish, born into pride, and we have made many mistakes, and we deserved the cross. Yet, we didn't get it. Jesus did. And Jesus got what we deserved so that we could get what he deserves, that we could be made whole, we could be healed, we could receive righteousness, new life, eternal life, joy, peace, love, acceptance, forgiveness. Jesus opened the door for you and I to receive what we all need because he took our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, meaning Jesus, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You might be declared and pronounced free and righteous before God because Jesus took your place, even though he was the one that was righteous. This is grace. This is the gospel. This is grace. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. It's a free gift that is offered to you. And just because it is offered to you doesn't mean you've accepted it. Just because it's available doesn't mean you've actually walked into it. Just because Jesus died for you, raised from the dead, and is alive today doesn't mean you're following him. That's up to you. So you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, I, I don't know about all this. I, I, I don't really know if I what I believe about Jesus. I don't know if I believe all that about Jesus. I think if I'm just a good person and I try to be kind to everyone and live life, you know, live a good life, that that is enough. You know, I, I haven't killed anyone lately. You know, I, you know, I haven't stolen anything for a long time. I haven't cheated on my spouse for a while. Uh, I haven't lied, you know, for a few days. You know, I haven't lost my temper real bad in a few days. So I'm a good person. You know, I'm not currently addicted to drugs. I'm not currently, you know, a, an alcoholic. So I'm doing pretty good. 
I don't need to believe in just one person. I don't need to believe in just one doctrine, one belief, so to speak. Well, in deciding that for yourself, you have made a doctrine. You have made a belief. It's called the doctrine of salvation by your own works rather than by grace. It assumes that you aren't a bad person and that you don't need a Savior. You may believe that you can earn your right to heaven. Or you may reject all these things about Jesus and Easter altogether and think that within yourself is the moral resources that you need to live your own life. Well, in doing so, most likely, you will live a life of constant fear, insecurity, constantly trying to be good enough and justifying yourself by comparing yourself to other people that you think are worse than you. Living a life of judgment towards them and hatred towards them and disdain for others, and struggling with your own guilt and your own emptiness and trying to fill that void with everything that this world has to offer. It's a life of pain. It's a life of misery. It's a life of searching and wandering, never actually experiencing the life that Jesus died for, for you to have. Or I present to you another way, the way, another choice, the other Jesus, the Messiah. You can receive him. You can receive the truth of what he's done for you, that you are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. You can receive what Jesus did for you on the cross. You can look to Jesus and see that he lived his life fully, just as you and I, and yet did it without ever making a mistake. And yet he took our place on the cross that he took our place that we deserved the cross, but because of his great love for us, even though we deserved it and we made the mistakes to be there, we can receive new life in him. We can receive eternal life in him. We can receive abundant life in him. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The gospel means good news. The gospel is news. It's not advice. It's news. It's fact. This really happened. Jesus really died, and he really raised from the dead, and he's really alive today. It's not a metaphor. It's real. And Easter is definitely not about bunnies and eggs. It's about Jesus. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? I got these two options. I can choose to live for myself, independent of God, thinking I know best in my own efforts, and my own strength, trying to force my way through life, creating my own religion, essentially, worshiping my own self, because that's really what it is, or I follow Jesus. So what does it really look like to follow him? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like having a mental acknowledgement that God exists. A lot of people believe that God is real. A lot of people believe there is a God, but they don't know him. It's not about believing that God exists. That's not what following Jesus comes down to. What God? Which one? All religions of this world besides relationship with Jesus are in this camp of Barabbas. It's all man-made. It's all your own effort. It's all your own strength trying to get to God. Instead of realizing that God came for you. Came to you. Came to you in your brokenness and in your mess and in your sin. Took your place. I'll tell you also what it's not. Following Jesus is not praying a prayer so that you, when you die, that you go to heaven and that you don't go to hell. 
That's not what following Jesus is about. A prayer will not save you. Coming to an altar doesn't save you. Encountering Jesus and giving him your whole life and following him with all of your being, that's where salvation comes. I'll also tell you what following Jesus is not. Following Jesus is not following a list of rituals, rules, and duties and obligations that you put on yourself or that someone puts on you to tell you that you've got to do this to be a good person. That's not what following Jesus is about either. This is not a religion. What we do here at the Promised Church is not religion. It is an expression of love because we've encountered the real risen king who is Jesus, and we can't help but express our love back to him. We're in a relationship, a love affair with the king of the universe. This is not a religion. So what does following Jesus mean? Four points. Four points. Number one, need. Need. You must be willing to humble yourself and have the courage to admit that you need him. You need God. You need Jesus, and you need what he did for you on that day. You need it more than your next breath. You need him to forgive your sins. You need him to make you new. Jesus does not want to fix you. You can't fix yourself, and he doesn't want to fix you. He wants that old person dead. Your sin is to be dead. Your old life is to be dead. He wants to make you brand new. It's a born again. It's a new birth. It's a new creation. All old things have died and passed away. Now everything is brand new in him, and it's a miracle. It's supernatural, and he does it. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good things to get there. You need him. You need him so bad. Oh, the deception, the pride, and the arrogance of mankind to think that they can do life without God, thinking that they know best, that I know what I'm supposed to do, I know what's best for me. Wow, what a deception that the king of the universe, I don't need him. But every day, most of us wake up thinking, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I know what's best for me. Completely disengaged from him. He's the afterthought. You don't need him just on Sundays. You don't need him just on Easter, just on Christmas. You don't need him one day a week, two days a week. You need him every moment of every day. You need him real bad. I need him every moment of every day. If Jesus needed him, you need him. In John 5, verse 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the son, talking about himself, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Sorry, Andrew, we're skipping some stuff here. If Jesus needed the Father, you need him. If Jesus lived a life dependent on God, you need him. I want to give you a picture, an illustration. Let's say you work a job where you work, you get paid every two weeks, you work 40 hours a week, and you... uh, 
you get paid your hourly rate. None of you go into your boss's office when you get your paycheck and go, oh my goodness, you're so incredible, you're so generous, you're so gracious, I can't believe how much you paid me, it's too much, I, I'm going to work here for the rest of my life, it's so amazing. None of you do that. Most of the time it's like this, it's not enough, I deserve more, you should pay me more for what I have to put up with here, I need a raise. Or you go, yep, the hours are right, the pay is right, the paycheck's right. Perfect. Right? Why? Because you, irked, you, you worked for it. You earned it. You deserved it. But when you realize what Jesus has done for you, everything changes. Because, you see, religion is trying to do good things to get God in your debt, hoping that, you know, you realize that, you know, hoping to have God realize that he owes you something. God owes you nothing. You are in God's debt always. Because when you realize what he has done for you and the price he paid for you and taking your place on that cross, it should cause an overwhelming feeling of wonder, awe, worship, praise, thankfulness constantly flowing in your heart because you realize what he's done for you and it puts you in a place of saying, man, God, I need more of you. I need more that you have for me. Thank you so much. Number two, surrender. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Surrender. You lay down your life. You surrender everything for him. You have no more rights. Because when you encounter the real Jesus, the real Jesus, you realize that it demands way more than you thought, but offers way more than you could ever imagine. When you say, Jesus, I'm tired of going life on my own, on my own way. I lay down my life. I surrender to you. I give you my pride. I give you my, my rights. I give you my agenda. I give you my destiny, my future. I give you my purpose. I give you my career. I give you my family. I give you everything. It's all yours already. I surrender to you. I give you my fear. I give you my worry, my depression, my anxiety, my addiction. I, I give it all to you. Then all of a sudden, Life comes. Freedom comes. Joy comes. Peace comes. True life takes place inside of you because you're laying it down. You must give up your rights. He must be in charge. He must be the center. You can't add Jesus into what you're already doing and call it following Jesus. He must be the center, and everything revolves around him. Everything. Some people might say, well, I'm interested in being a Christian as long as I don't have to do this. Or I will obey you, God, if you do this for me. What are you doing? What are you saying? You're saying, I want Jesus, but on my terms. He must be in control, not you. Otherwise, you're choosing Barabbas. Only when you surrender will you receive from him everything that you could ever need or want. Only he satisfies. Only he takes the emptiness, fills it, fills you full to overflowing with such joys, with such peace, with, with such fulfillment and life and love where you go, why would I have ever chosen anything else before? 
Number three, pursue. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to pursue him, to pursue him with everything that you are and everything that you have. To know him intimately, not know about him. A lot of people know a lot of facts about Jesus' bio. A lot of people know a lot of verses in this book, but they don't know the word of life, Jesus himself. They don't know the author. It's about knowing him as the closest of friendships and relationships in your life, that you love him more than anyone else and anything else in your life. Jesus didn't come, die, and just leave us with a set of teachings like any other religious leader. He came, he lived, he showed us the Father, he showed us how to live, he died in our place, he raised from the dead, all so that we could be in his presence all the time, forever, and actually know him closely. He didn't come so that you could have an intellectual acknowledgement of God's existence, that you remember two times a year on Christmas and Easter. He did not come for you to have a casual acquaintance connection with him where you are thankful for what he has done for you so that you can go to heaven, but you continue to live your life however you think best. He came for you so that you could have a fully unhindered, expressive, fully vulnerable, intimate connection with him, where that connection is marked by tangible, real love, joy, peace, purity, power, all of it. That's why he came. That's why he came, so that on Monday morning, you wake up and he's your first desire. He's your first thought, so that you wake up on Thursday, over halfway through your week, and you go, oh, Jesus, I can't wait to be in your presence right now. Not, I just can't wait to be at church on Sunday. I can't wait to be in your presence right now. On Saturday morning, Jesus, you're so good. I just want more of you. I'm not just waiting until Sunday to get together. I want you right now. I'm pursuing you with everything in me. Revelations 22, 13. Jesus says about himself, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What does that mean for you and me in real practical life? Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. What does that mean for you? Is he your first? Is he your starting point? Does everything start with him? Is he your first passion, your first pursuit? Is he your omega point? Is he your destination? Is he where you are headed? Is he all that you want? Or is he a means to an end for you? I'll pray to you, Jesus. I'll try to live a good life so that when I get to the end of my life, it's hopefully good enough so that I can go to heaven. Or I'll go to church, I'll read my Bible once in a while, I'll give once in a while so that you can bless me. I can have a good spouse, I can have great kids, I can have a good career, I can have the house with the picket fence, I can retire at age 60 and do life however I want after that. Is he a means to an end for you? Do you want the blessing more than him? He must be 
your destination. He must be all that you want or need. He is enough for you. If you take everything away out of your life, if you strip it all away, is he enough for you? Jesus is saying, will you serve me to get me? Will you follow me to get me? He is not into sugar daddy Jesus. When Jesus is a means to an end, you will not get what you truly want. You will try to do life on your own strength, Barabbas. But when God is the end, he will give you the means. Last point, number four, imitate. Imitate. When you know you need him and you surrender your life fully to him and you're pursuing him to know him with everything in your life, you will begin to be like him. You will be transformed into his image. You will begin to talk like, look like, sound like Jesus. People will see Jesus in you. Barabbas is about making Jesus look like you. Lowering the standard so that you're comfortable and not having to change a lot in your life so that you can continue to do what you want. But when you are pursuing Jesus to know him, you become like him. And everything in your life begins to change. Why? Because he's the center. And now he can speak into everything. And now he can say, you probably should stop saying that. You should probably stop doing that. You should probably treat that person better or differently. You should probably pray for that person. You should probably tell that person about me. You should probably, all from a place of love, all from a place of kindness, all from a place of, of goodness, as a good father, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, it says, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him or whoever claims to know him must live as Jesus did. We must look like him, live like him in purity, in the character of our life, and how we treat others, and what we say and do, and in power, in demonstration of the supernatural power of God working through our lives. Otherwise, we are not demonstrating and, and, and showing the world the real Jesus. We're showing a man-made version of what we think Jesus is supposed to look like instead of allowing him to be the standard. Jesus is the standard. We're to live like him in purity and in power. John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. It takes, it takes real grace and courage and humility and hunger to live this way, to follow Jesus. And yet it's not going to come in your own effort and your own strength. It comes by humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm not in charge anymore. You're in charge. You need to look to Jesus as your source of courage because if you think that it takes courage for you to follow Jesus, consider it took infinitely more courage for Jesus to come to you, to die for you, and take your place on the cross. Because he faced becoming human, receiving ridicule, rejection, betrayal, being misunderstood, torture, and death, all because he thought you were worth it. All because he knew 
you are worth it. His love for you was what put him on that cross. No one made him do it. It wasn't a religious duty or obligation. No one forced him to do it. He willingly laid his life down for you. All because of love for you. Will you choose him? The question that Pilate asked, the question that I presented to you earlier, is the same question that is facing you today. Which Jesus do you want? Which Jesus will you choose? Barabbas, living life in your own efforts, your own strength, thinking that you know best, thinking that you know God, but you really don't. You have a mental acknowledgement of his existence. You think that if you just do enough good things, you'll earn what you are looking for in this life. Or you acknowledge, admit, confess that you need him. You surrender everything in your life to him. And you say, Jesus, whatever it looks like, I know I need you. And when you, when you do that, when you take that first step and ask him to come into your heart and you choose to follow him, everything that you're looking for in this life is found in him. The freedom you need, the peace you need, the joy you need, the love you need, the forgiveness you need, it's all in him. Will you stand with me? I could have every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in this place today, and if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you'll admit that you need Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're here and you've never opened the door of your heart and allowed Jesus to come in, and you've never said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. I'm tired of going my own way. I'm going to choose to follow you. If that's you, I just ask that you raise your hand. Raise it high so I can see it. If you've never made a step to choose Jesus, to say that you need him, just ask that you raise your hand. You may have felt something during our worship time, during the pre preaching of the word. You might have feel your heart beating fast. You may have felt a coolness come blow over you. You may have felt a heat that has come upon you. Something different, something unique that you've never felt before. That's Jesus. He's here. He's alive. He's real. And he wants you to follow him. If that's you, please raise your hand. Okay. If you're here today, and you know that you've received Jesus before. You were following him before, but you've, you can recognize. You're, you're willing to admit that you've gone your own way. You've approached him casually. You, you haven't pursued him with everything inside of you. you you've wandered away from him. You, you haven't you know, recognized him and, and your need for him and surrendered everything to him. And you want to give your life back to Jesus. You want to... Begin to follow him afresh today. You want to give him your whole life, your whole heart. I ask that you'd raise your hand. Come on. Hands up all over this place. There's no shame 
There's no need to be embarrassed. Jesus was crucified naked on a cross for you so that he could take all of your shame. If you raised your hand, I just ask that you would be so bold as to come right over here to this side of the stage. If you could just come right over here, we want to pray with you. We believe that God can change you in a moment, that there's an encounter of God waiting for you where he solidifies what you've chosen to do in your heart today. Come to the front. We want to celebrate you. There is no need to be embarrassed. We love you. We are here for you. We, we want to do life with you. You need other people in your life to follow Jesus the way he wants you to. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just come on right up to the front. Right over here. There's more of you that raised your hand. Come to the front over here. We want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't miss your moment. If you, even if you didn't raise your hand, if you're like, that's me. I want that. I need that. Just come to the front. We want to pray with you. Come on. All right, let's pray together. I'm just going to pray over you, and Pastor Aaron's going to close the service today. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. God, that you gave everything for us. You didn't hold anything back. Not one drop of your blood was wasted. Lord, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. God, we, we give you our whole hearts today. We choose to follow you with everything that we are. God, no more casual Christianity. No more casual approach to you. No just mental acknowledgement and continue to live life on our own. We choose you, Jesus, the real Jesus. We want you and only you. You're enough for us, Lord. Only you satisfy. Come and touch these, these ones that responded today. Come and fill them with the nearness of your presence. Come, love on them in such a real and tangible way where they're never the same again. Do that in every one of us, Lord, that we leave this place hungry for you, pursuing you every moment of every day. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.